A trusted symbol. For more than a century, the American Red Cross has faithfully served Marines in crisis by Sarah W. Buck. Throughout three decades of service in the Marine Corps Reserve, combat veteran Mike Jordan noticed something that made a lasting impression on him. In times of crisis, the American Red Cross always showed up. They were there when Jordan, then a second lieutenant, was assigned to replace a platoon commander from 1st Battalion, 8th Marines, who was killed in the bombing of the Marine barracks in Beirut, Lebanon in October, 1983. Restoring a communications platoon that had suffered heavy losses proved an overwhelming and emotionally draining task for a young officer on his first assignment. I didn't really feel adequately equipped to deal with grieving parents who had just lost their sons in the blast, and I didn't feel adequately prepared to tend with wounded survivors or Marines who came back to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and were hospitalized and would eventually return to the unit, said Jordan. But in the wake of devastation, the Red Cross mobilized volunteers from its Service to the Armed Forces, SAF, program, which assisted Jordan with freshening up his Marines barracks at Camp Lejeune, as well as the Quonset hut where they worked. For the Marines returning from Beirut who had survived a deeply traumatic event, something as simple as a new coat of paint and photographs on the walls made their living and working spaces feel warm, welcoming, and a little more like home. And even more importantly, the Red Cross workers taught Jordan through their example how to really demonstrate the warmth and comfort for grieving parents and how to show up and how to help support the Marines that were wounded and were recovering in the hospital, he said. Following his assignment at Camp Lejeune, Jordan left active duty and joined the active reserve component while launching a career in corporate America. But when the Gulf War began in 1990, he volunteered to again join the active duty ranks and deploy as a communications officer and H&S company commander with 7th Engineer Support Battalion. By February 1991, Jordan, then a captain, found himself at the Kuwaiti border, prepared to participate in the ground attack on Iraqi forces in support of Operation Desert Storm. We were told that we were outnumbered and we would encounter nerve agents and anthrax attacks when we commenced the ground war, and that we were to expect high casualties of Jordan, who was newly married at the time and hadn't spoken with his wife in two months. Truth is, I think many of us weren't sure if we'd return home. The realization that they might never hear their loved ones' voices again weighed heavily on Jordan and his Marines during those long days of waiting. But prior to the scheduled invasion, they were given an opportunity to load into Humvees and drive 10 kilometers south of their forward operating position. The Red Cross, in a partnership with AT&T, had arranged for a satellite dish to be brought to their austere location in the middle of the desert so that the Marines could call home. Jordan spent four hours in line for his turn to make a 15-minute phone call, but the chance to talk to his wife, Lynn, was more than worth the wait. It was an amazing call that I'll never forget because of the intensity and the mix of emotions, said Jordan. It was probably one of the most important phone calls of my life. After he came home from Desert Storm, Jordan remained in the Marine Corps Reserve and returned to his career in the private sector until 2004, when he volunteered to again activate and deploy, this time in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. Then a major, he served as the director of the Civil Military Operations Center, Government Support Team, 5th Civil Affairs Group. In 2005, Jordan and his team lived and worked outside the wire six days a week, operating out of the Government Center in downtown Ramadi, Iraq, 
with security provided by Weapons Platoon, Alpha Company, 1st Battalion, 5th Marines. My Marines and I were rocketed, mortared, and fired upon routinely as we conducted our mission in Ramadi, said Jordan. It is hard to express in words the intensity of being downrange or outside the wire and how much the Red Cross SAF means when we perform our mission under those circumstances. Support from the Red Cross came in the form of care packages filled with snacks, toiletries, and other essentials. And given their position, Jordan and the other Marines relied heavily on the contents of those packages to meet their basic needs. One of the most meaningful items in the care packages, he recalls, were handwritten notes from patriotic Americans. When you're sitting there in that environment and you read a really kind note from somebody that doesn't even know you, it makes a heck of an impression, said Jordan. Jordan's various interactions with the Red Cross in Iraq solidified his appreciation for their life-saving mission. At one point during the deployment, one of Jordan's fellow Marines received an emergency communication through the Red Cross, which is congressionally chartered to deliver verified messages to deployed service members to inform them of family emergencies on the home front. This message was dire. His wife was terminally ill and he needed to return to the U.S. immediately. In these situations, the Red Cross works with a service member's command to help them make immediate travel arrangements when a confirmed emergency occurs. During that same deployment to Iraq, two Marines with Jordan's civil affairs team were wounded by an improvised explosive device blast in Ramadi. Jordan relied on his Red Cross first aid training to assist the wounded Marines who were medevaced to the battalion aid station but through the Red Cross in Baghdad, Jordan was able to get information and updates about their condition. And when Jordan and his unit left Iraq to redeploy to the U.S., they spent a week at Camp Arifjan in Kuwait, where they were able to decompress and visit the Red Cross Rest and Recovery Center there. It was nice because we had a chance to talk with really kind staff, we could communicate home, and we could recover from our deployments at Jordan. I was struck again by the Red Cross staff, their kindness and their warmth, and it felt a little bit like home. These small yet meaningful moments when Jordan's life as a Marine intersected with the humanitarian work of the Red Cross are by no means unique in the sense that virtually every Marine who has deployed to a combat zone, and likely even those who haven't, have benefited in some way from the organization's service to the armed forces. In Jordan's case, his personal experiences led him to join the staff of the American Red Cross, where he serves today as the Vice President of Humanitarian Services Pacific Division. In times of hardship and difficult circumstances, you never forget how you were treated, said Jordan. I had a chance to give back, so I joined them in 2013, and I have not looked back. With little fanfare, the American Red Cross has provided relief and support to individuals in crisis and offered training and life-saving skills to prepare people for emergency situations since its founding in 1881. An astounding 90% of the Red Cross workforce are volunteers who are committed to the mission of preventing and alleviating human suffering as part of the overall mission of the International Red Cross Red Crescent Movement, a global network of societies in 192 different countries. From providing support to victims of natural disasters and offering first aid certification courses to organizing blood drives that supply roughly 40% of the nation's blood, the Red Cross mission extends far beyond its service to the armed forces. 
but supporting military service members and their families has long been an integral part of its work to provide compassionate care, and the Red Cross continues to provide home comforts and critical services on bases and in military hospitals, support during deployments, particularly when emergencies arrive, and service to veterans even after their time on active duty comes to an end. The American Red Cross has always been a trusted symbol for the U.S. Marine Corps, said Red Cross archivist Susan Watson, adding that the organization's first direct support of Marines took place during the Spanish-American War in 1898, when the Red Cross provided food, medical personnel, and nurses to aid the troops during the conflict. The founder of the American Red Cross, Clara Barton, was inspired by the International Red Cross movement and her work with wounded soldiers during the U.S. Civil War, as well as through her efforts to reconnect families through the Office of Missing Soldiers after the war. In 1881, the American Red Cross was first established with service to the armed forces a central part of its mission, said Watson. During World War I, the Red Cross mobilized volunteer hours all right, delete that part. I'm going to start that sentence over. During World War I, the Red Cross mobilized volunteer workers across the nation to join the newly established Production Corps through its chapters on the home front. The volunteers made gloves, sweaters, and medical supplies for service members overseas, including cloth masks to help combat the spread of the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. The newly established Red Cross Motor Corps provided transportation support for the sick and wounded, as well as for the movement of nurses and supplies. Through the organization's local chapters, the Red Cross Home Service assisted the families of troops serving overseas, keeping them informed about benefits and services available to them, and acting as a liaison for communications between the deployed service members and their loved ones. Meanwhile, across the ocean, the American Red Cross helped set up the first 50 military hospitals and supplied Red Cross nurses to care for the combat wounded, said Watson. Red Cross workers also staffed canteens that provided food and drinks for the troops and established camp service to provide needed items as well as recreational opportunities. As injured service members began to return home to convalesce, the Red Cross began a hospital and recreation corps at Walter Reed Army Hospital in Washington, D.C. Staffed entirely by women who wore gray dresses as uniforms, members of the Corps quickly earned themselves the nickname the Gray Ladies. The Gray Ladies provided the wounded with non-medical services like shopping, reading, and writing letters on their behalf. In 1917, the Red Cross Institute for the Blind, also known as Evergreen, opened its doors in Baltimore, Maryland to care for the visually impaired returning home from the war. By the end of the war in November 1918, the American Red Cross had grown exponentially and was a household name in the U.S., having earned great visibility for its humanitarian efforts. World War I really was the defining time for the Red Cross and really helped shape the organization that we know today, said Watson. Articles from the Red Cross Courier in the 1920s provide insight into the organization's interaction with Marines following the war. Some are humorous. A July 1922 article entitled Devil Dogs Eat Up All Chapters Jam details the staggering volume of jam sandwiches the Red Cross fed to 5,000 Quantico-based Marines who were traveling through Washington, D.C. on their way to Gettysburg. 
Another article published in 1922 covered the Red Cross support of Marines in Santo Domingo by providing them a place to read and study, as well as other services like loans and counseling, an effort that earned the praise of Major General Commandant John A. Lejeune. In the 1926 edition includes a letter of appreciation from Marine Colonel H.C. Snyder, commanding officer of the 2nd Marine Regiment in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. He expressed his gratitude of the Red Cross, not only in providing each man with a Christmas present each of the two years of my stay in Port-au-Prince, but for many other substantial services, he wrote. When the U.S. entered World War II in December 1941, another formative period began for the Red Cross which not only continued the services it previously established during World War I, such as the Motor Corps and the Hospital and Recreation Corps Gray Ladies, but began a number of new ones as well. These included its first ever blood donor program, which would later serve as the model for its civilian blood program established in 1948. Even before the U.S. entered the war, the Red Cross had anticipated that American troops would need blood, particularly plasma, in order to save lives. Prior to the attack on Pearl Harbor, the Red Cross already had established 10 blood donor centers in the U.S. Following the Battle of Tarawa in 1943, during which the Marine Corps suffered mass casualties, Captain French R. Moore, a U.S. Navy doctor serving in the Pacific, reported that 6,000 units of plasma went ashore at Tarawa and 4,000 of them came back in the veins of wounded Marines. At least half of the seriously wounded owe their lives to plasma, he wrote. Throughout the European and Pacific theaters, Red Cross field directors who were embedded with the troops continued the World War I-era camp service program, offering service members help with emergency communications, financial assistance, and supplies. Perhaps one of the Red Cross' most well-known overseas programs during World War II was its club service, which provided permanent clubs and traveling club mobiles trucks and buses converted into rolling canteens, to bring food and recreational activities to the troops. Some clubs were large enough that they had barber shops, live entertainment, and rooms for the service members to sleep. Others, particularly the clubmobiles, primarily offered donuts and coffee served by young Red Cross clubmobile girls. At the peak of the Red Cross wartime activity in 1945, the organization was relying on the hard work of 7.5 million volunteers, and 39,000 paid staff to carry out its service to the military. During World War II, the Red Cross no longer provided Red Cross nurses overseas, but instead helped enroll more than 100,000 nurses for the military services. A March 8, 1945 article in the Honolulu Advertiser, entitled Red Cross Masks Aid Marines Win and Fight for Iwo Jima, shed light on the unique role the Red Cross played in one of the most iconic battles in Marine Corps history. The weird ghostliness of the Battle of Iwo Jima was heightened today as Marines fought through clouds of sulfur and volcanic ash garbed in white surgical masks, the article read. Flown from Honolulu, 5,000 face masks provided by the Hawaiian Red Cross were distributed to the fighting men in this living hell where the greatest natural enemy encountered is volcanic ash. In an effort to support prisoners of war from the American military as well as the Allied forces, the American Red Cross supplied 27 million prisoner of war packages, which were sent to the International Committee of the Red Cross for distribution in the prison camps. While POWs head in the, all right, messed up there. 
start that sentence over. Well, POWs had, did it again. <laughs> While POWs held in the European camps generally received their packages, which contained food and basic necessities, those imprisoned by the Japanese tended to not be so lucky. The Red Cross also produced two publications, Red Cross News, which was sent to the prisoners to keep them informed and a prisoners of war bulletin for the families back home. The Red Cross continued its programs from the Second World War when the U.S. entered the Korean War in 1950, such as home service for families, camp service led by field directors, and clubs, canteens, and non-medical assistance in military and veterans hospitals. As the Korean War came to an end, the Red Cross provided support for the sick and wounded United Nations prisoners of war who were released during the Operation Little Switch Prisoner Exchange and provided supplies and comfort items to the POWs who were still being held prior to the Operation Big Switch Exchange, as well as additional support upon their eventual release. The wartime services of the American Red Cross emerged yet again in Vietnam in 1965. During the period of eight years that American troops were engaged in the fighting, the Red Cross facilitated more than two million emergency communications between the troops and their family members. Supplemental Recreational Activities Overseas, SRAO workers, supplied by the Red Cross, were college-educated women who brought entertainment, refreshments, and a touch of home to the Marines and other service members in secured areas near the front lines in Vietnam, much like the clubmobiles in World War II in Korea. This time, however, they traveled to remote locations via helicopters and jeeps. Much has changed since the Red Cross began its wartime support of the U.S. military, and the organization has had to adapt its services to reflect the evolution of the nature of warfighting, the landscape of the battlefield, and the role of technology in the way people communicate with each other. But they've managed to do just that while remaining true to their original mission. When I think about today, the things that we're doing, the mission continues, said Mike Jordan. The Red Cross maintains a large presence on military installations worldwide, providing support to nearly half a million active duty and veteran service members and their families each year. It offers programs and services at 147 military medical facilities and 171 veterans care facilities around the globe, and is proud to serve 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, through the American Red Cross Hero Care Network which provides emergency communication and assistance and is available by phone, online, or through the free HeroCare mobile app. Whether it's through resiliency and reconnection workshops, job training for military spouses, or workshops and training for caregivers of wounded, ill, and injured service members on the home front, or emergency support during deployments, Marines and their families continue to count on the Red Cross to be there in their time of need. For Jordan, his personal journey with the Red Cross came full circle when he became a Gold Star father after his son, Air Force 2nd Lieutenant Travis M. Jordan, died while serving on active duty in 2016. In 2017, following a fundraiser in his son's name to help refurbish the Camp Arif John Red Cross Rest and Recovery Center in Kuwait, where Mike Jordan had transitioned through on his way home from Iraq in 2005, the building was renamed the 2nd Lieutenant Travis M. Jordan Resiliency Center. For service members passing through Kuwait on their way in or out of the Middle East Theater, 
The Travis M. Jordan Center offers them resiliency counseling and training, as well as an opportunity to participate in the healing arts like music and painting. A collection of guitars, his son was an avid guitarist, are available for service members to pick up and play. For Jordan, who as a Marine relied on the Red Cross during times of need, there couldn't be a more fitting way to honor his son's life.